are listening to DigiFin Vox. DigiFin is an online media group covering the digital transformation of financial services. Our podcast comes to you twice a month from our base in Hong Kong, Asia's leading financial center, where East meets West and developed markets meet the emerging consumer. Go to our website, www.ditchfingroup.com, so you don't miss out on our in-depth daily stories on how your clients and competitors are changing their business models across asset management, banking, capital markets, and insurance. Your podcast host is James Lindsay, and this is the voice of tech innovation in finance. This is Ditchfing Fox. March the 27th, the HKMA announced to much fanfare three virtual banking licenses in Hong Kong. These were awarded to Livy VB, SC Digital Solutions and Zongan Virtual Finance. Another five licenses are supposed to be in the pipeline. Today it is a pleasure to have James Lloyd, partner at EY and their Asia Pacific FinTech and Payments Leader, help guide us all through what this means for Hong Kong and the Asia Pacific region. But before we jump into the content, we are offering all podcast listeners a 15% discount to DigFin subscriptions. Use the discount code PODCAST, P-O-D-C-A-S-T, to access all our business intelligence covering Asia FinTech and attend our events. We are back. Uh, I have the pleasure of this episode of hosting James Lloyd, partner at EY, and we're going to talk about virtual bank licenses in Hong Kong. James... Welcome to Digfin Vox. Thank you. The, the, the pleasure is all mine. Happy to be here. Um, the last time I saw you, we were uh, we had a an ill-gotten flight. <laughs> <laughs> yes, very true. Our our nine-hour delay out of Singapore. Yeah, yeah, it was the. It was uh, a... And we end up getting like a was it a two a.m. flight? I, I I actually opted for the uh, the overnight to come back at uh, earlier, very early the next morning. I opted to sit in the lounge for nine hours. Okay. It was okay. All right. Yeah. Well, you got to make the best of these things, right? Absolutely. Um, okay. Well, we're, we're both here safe and sound in Hong Kong. Um, and the, the big news uh, is last week, the HKMA uh, finally announced the first batch of what is expected to be, I guess, a double batch of virtual bank licenses. Uh, this is something that uh, I know you've been working very closely on for at least a year mm-hmm. um, and it's something we've been talking about at Digfin um, for quite a while so it's we think it's very exciting um, but uh, we'd like to spend a little time chatting with you to get a little more deeper insight into really what this means the significance of, of virtual banking licenses what the HKMA is trying to, to get out of it so um, so thanks for your time sure. um, one, one minor clarification I'm not sure I'm not sure anybody knows whether there will be another batch per se or whether uh, you know, one or more individual licenses will be issued if and when they are complete. Right. I think they've, if I understand it rightly, they've issued three and there's five more under consideration. Exactly. Five yeah. more in the shortlist of the 33 that were submitted and, the, and those are under active consideration. Right. Yes. So not necessarily all five will get the final word. I, I think it's like anything. Nobody knows until they know. Yeah. Okay. But we'll assume that there'll be there'll be a couple more at mm-hmm. least. Yeah. Um, okay. So let's put this. Uh, let, let's just step back and put it in the context of 2017. The HKMA uh, came out with a, a rafter of initiatives it wanted to pursue in kind of uh, jumpstarting fintech in Hong Kong. Really. Um, yeah. Uh, this was one of those things. So, how does virtual banking fit in with 
faster payments, open API, and just kind of really where the, you know, the, the top-down view of where the HKMA wants to take this. Sure. Um, well, so even before we get to the new era of smart banking announcement that you refer to in, I guess, September 2017, I would almost take it back a few more years um, for those of us who have been kind of working in the Hong Kong fintech space for, for, for many years. We weren't seeing a lot of activity in this market, quite frankly. Um, I think, you know, there was a bit of hype, there was a bit of publicity. Certainly there were some entrepreneurs trying to build product and, and there was some receptivity in banks and insurers and so on. But really there was a general perception, which I think was accurate, that Hong Kong was not really on top of this. Right. Um, that as a market, perhaps we were losing ground in this space to the likes of Singapore, of course, which is always the reference point, but equally the UK, you know, even Australia, other markets. So... Yeah, I would say a little bit of the context, even before the HKMA announcements, was there was a recognition, I believe, at government, at a regulatory level, that actually we, we kind of need to get something done. Um, because Hong Kong, you know, after all, is an international financial services hub. Um, we've got a lot of great things going for us. But equally, unless you kind of move with the times, there's always a danger that you get left behind. Um, so I would say that's a kind of a bit of a broader context prior to to the September 2017 announcement, which which was simply that, an announcement of, I believe, seven initiatives mm -hmm. yeah. that the MA in particular was, was pursuing. I would say, uh, to your question, at least from our perspective, from a kind of a retail banking and payments perspective, some of the most interesting were the Faster Payment System, uh, which is an immediate payments platform, as you know, launched last year. Uh, what that means in practice is it's an infrastructure change that allows you to then suddenly build products that are a bit more, well, by definition, immediate, right. but you begin to to reduce some of the friction of, of multi-day uh, transfers and, and manual direct debit authorizations, et cetera, et cetera. So that type of infrastructure change was certainly interesting. Again, in and of itself, it's it's not, you know, some, some sort of big breakthrough. Um, frankly, you know, the likes of Singapore have had an immediate payment platform for many years, as to the UK and elsewhere. Um, albeit in the Hong Kong case, I think there was recognition what had worked and not worked in those markets. So they were able to introduce, um, you know, overlay services day one. They were able to kind of try and manage some of the pricing considerations, et cetera, et cetera. Anyway, so on the infrastructure side, I think uh, the faster payment system was important. Uh, another element there, open API. Um, still in its nascent stages, right. frankly. It's a, a phased introduction, yeah. and already uh, a lot of the fintechs are complaining that the <laughs> banks aren't really getting it or, or meeting their obligations yet, but we'll see. It's early days. Yeah, and I, look, it's early days, but I mean, I think, I think some of those complaints are warranted. I mean, H Hong Kong has not, you know, and, and let me talk in general terms here, you know, Hong Kong has not been known for its financial services innovation for a long time, no. particularly on the retail side. And when you've got four banks that dominate the deposit base here, despite the fact there's well over 150 banks, uh, but really mm -hmm. there's four that count, uh, you know, and so the complacency is naturally going to set in. It, it, it's it's a very interesting market. Let me put it like that. I mean, the dynamics are quite unusual. I mean, you're right. There's now with the three VBs, there's now 155 banking licenses in the city. Now, of course, we need to split between kind of full retail, deposit taking corporations, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Sure. But but certainly, you know, this is a heavily banked market, a heavily carded market, um, and I think maybe we'll come on to that in a moment in terms of what is the opportunity perhaps for some of these new players. But, but open APIs, I think we're in the early stages. I think there's some interesting developments. And, and again, I would look at that as much as an infrastructure play. Uh, 
you know, laying the groundwork along with FPS and other initiatives to begin to introduce new products, new new propositions. Yeah. Um, a couple of others for sure, you know, Greater Bay Area integration and the potential therein and challenges, of course, I think is an overarching theme. Um, but certainly one of the big standouts for us at that, uh, for the new era of smart banking announcement was around virtual banks. Yeah, yeah. What is it that the HKMA is looking to do? Because my superficial look at what's happening with the virtual banks and the, and the three so far that have won licenses is we're not really talking about challenger banks. I mean, two of the awardees are uh, related to um, existing banks, Standard mm-hmm. Charter and Bank of China. Um, it doesn't look like a model where it's like Volt in Australia or Monzo in the UK or N26 in Germany. It doesn't seem to have that kind of, I've got a limited or like a revolute. I've got like my limited niche area that I'm going to be really good at with an incredible user experience and then maybe I'll try to build out banking here. We're looking here at like high capital requirements, full service license, mm-hmm. um, uh, but, but why? Why are we going down this route in Hong Kong? Uh, I think, look, that, that there's a variety of factors, so let me try and cover them off one by one. Um, I mean, first and foremost, this is a full retail banking license. So it's not, I mean, you mentioned Australia and UK there as comparators. In each of those cases, there were intermediary licenses issued, yeah. um, wherein, you know, effectively kind of sandbox licenses where, where you could distribute a certain amount, uh, you had a certain amount of customers, etc., um, I think in Hong Kong, you know, there's a couple of reasons for why they've gone the full license route. But I think first and foremost is, you know, actually the virtual bank authorization guideline already existed. Um, I mean, everyone's talking about this as a brand new thing, but it's been around since the year 2000. Right, with the SVFs, the stored value facilities? or Well, no, that's a little different. So, so the, the, the virtual bank authorization guideline, and I think people are talking about virtual bank licenses, etc. But actually, there, there is no such thing as a virtual bank license. There is a full retail bank license. And then in the year 2000, uh, the HKMA issued a guideline to the effect that if you wanted to uh, build a branchless bank, here are some considerations you should account for. In fact, I would say that's probably why it's called virtual bank, because it feels like quite a, it's kind of like, but it's an antiquated term, right? I'm not sure people necessarily refer to it. it, You know, these are digital banks. These are mobile only banks, uh, branchless, et cetera. But actually, so the guideline itself exists since the year 2000. Um, there's never been a true implementation of a digital-only bank in Hong Kong uh, heretofore. So in 2017, really the announcement was we are going to revise the guideline in relation to virtual banks. Um, and again, the banking ordinance remains unchanged. So yeah. in order to get a full bank license, you still need to fulfill all the criteria of the banking ordinance. And, and that is not designed for startups, simply right. put. Um, but also it's important that although two of the three awardees are themselves come from the banking world, uh, you don't necessarily have to be a bank to own exactly. or operate a, a, a virtual bank. Exactly that. I mean, I think that the, the big takeaway, if you like, from the revised guideline, which went through some public consultation and then was kind of finalized, I think, in May of last year, um, the big takeaway was effectively regulatory support for the idea of new players who are not existing banks or um, majority owned by existing banks. Now, now we'll come on to the point you made about how the initial licensees fit a certain, um, fit a certain, uh, how would you say, I mean, they are unlike uh, the Monzos or Volts that you mentioned in Australia and, and the UK. And I think there's a couple of different ways of looking at that, frankly. Uh, our view has been um, that 
let's take a market like the UK where you have had, firstly, a regulatory regime specifically designed for new players, um, i.e. early stage. You know, you, you, you go, you raise a bit of money, you try and acquire customers organically with a, with a better app, a better ex- customer experience, better pricing. I, I, you know, our view to some degree is that these, uh, if I can call them startup challenger banks, may encounter some difficulty as they seek to scale into the mass market. Uh, they, they lack an established distribution base. Right. I mean, banking is not easy, simply put, particularly as you scale from a kind of a capital adequacy and, and risk control perspective. So two things. I think the regulatory setup out here is not designed for startup banks, good or bad. Right. I mean, That's I think, just the way it is. I, I, I mean, honestly, I actually can, I feel like I can argue both sides of that, if yeah. I'm quite honest. I'm not sure we necessarily want pure startups um, in this market uh, operating with full retail banking licenses. Um, just from a risk control perspective, maybe I'm getting conservative in my old age, <laughs> but 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 I think you can kind of argue both sides. But but one one side I would argue, which I think is quite interesting, is you know out here also I don't think our reference points are or necessarily should be you know what's a UK challenger doing or even what's an Australian challenger doing. It's really looking across the border and saying what are the big China tech players doing. Yeah, and you know for the most part you're right. These are well capitalized platform players with established distribution networks and the ability to uh, cross-sell a range of financial services and indeed a range of non-financial services, both first party and third party. So, you know, for me at least, the opportunity in Asia and the inspiration in Asia is more for is more from the China players than it is from, from the UK or elsewhere. Yeah. And, I mean, we've also made this point at Dishman too. This is the first time where we really get to see China internet players um, head-to-head with global banks outside of mainland China's own jurisdiction. So that's very interesting. Zhang'an is one of the, the winners uh, of the first round, and we I assume there'll be one or two more uh, of technology players from mm-hmm. China that will, that will get a license. Um, what do you, how do you see that shaping up? I mean, what, you know, we're still months away from anybody actually launching their service, mm-hmm. but uh, what do you think is the implication of bringing in companies like Zhang'an, potentially companies like Xiaomi or Ant, into the fray here, um, what, what what kind of impact do you expect that to have? Uh, well, I think um, I think a couple of things, right? Firstly, you know, Hong Kong is you know, mentioned earlier a heavily banked, heavily carded market. You know, ostensibly one, one of seven million people. Of course, we know there's a considerable um, cross border activity. You know, forty five, however many million um, Chinese a year with considerable banking, insurance, wealth asset management needs. So, you know, on the face of it, it's not the biggest market uh, in the world, but actually it's uh, highly profitable yeah. um, and, and, in fact, bigger, I think, than perhaps uh, many people realize. So, you know, this is an interesting market in which to build a digital and, and a truly differentiated proposition. Um, but equally, I think, back to the point of we are seeing these large, you know, well-capitalized players, uh, several of whom are kind of very interesting multi-party joint ventures, I mean, I think there's going to be an ambition here for a Hong Kong player that is potentially uh, operating beyond that at a certain point. Um, now, meaning, again, meaning outside of Hong Kong. Sure, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, Hong Kong is a global financial services center. If you're going to build a digital bank, and by the way, I'm not speaking on behalf of, I'm not, this is kind of more conceptual, I would say, but I could see this as a pretty good place upon which to build a uh, regulated entity that has ambitions beyond its home market because again this is a very well regarded financial services center um, very well regarded regulatory regime so you know if you have ambitions for uh, Southeast Asia if you have ambitions for southern China through the kind of GBA integration etc 
not saying it's it would be easy, um, but I can see this being a pretty good base for those with regional and even potentially global ambitions. Sure, a springboard. Sure, why not? With that, with with the license, um, what kind of services will these banks likely at least begin with, or let's say market segments? Um, because everyone here has a bank account, has a card, or almost everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, and I believe that part of the HKMA's decision-making around this was financial inclusion. Yep. So maybe we should talk, actually, even before we get into market statements, in a, in a city like Hong Kong, uh, what does financial inclusion, what do you think that means when the HKMA talks about that? Because that's going to be different than if we were sitting in like Indonesia or India or something. Sure, absolutely. I mean, I think this is one of the questions that, that many market participants had early on. Um, I, I mean, by way of context, the MA effectively set out kind of three overarching criteria, uh, you know, the, the, the solutions need to be better customer experiences, uh, needs to allow for the adoption of new fintech and innovation in financial services and, and financial inclusion. So so quite honestly, all three of them, I think, are open to some interpretation. <laughs> yeah. um, I think financial inclusion, certainly one aspect of that, and, and you will know as well as I do over the past number of years, there have been... Um, there have been concerns about SME uh, account opening, SME yeah. financing. I think SME is certainly one area where we're going to see, uh, well, I would expect to see one or two of these new players really focus quite hard. Yes. Um, and again, SME is an, in- Hong Kong is a good place for that, actually, for a variety of reasons, right? Um, firstly, we have a significant population of SMEs to begin with, but equally, there's an incredible amount of cross-border trade here. So, you know, that's a potentially interesting aspect. And I think there is a financial inclusion aspect there, not, as you say, in the Indonesian sense of, you know, access to financial services, but underbanked. Right. Um, you know, equally, I think I wouldn't, um, I wouldn't underestimate uh, some of the impediments to uh, mass market access to financial products in Hong Kong. I mean, it, it certainly, you know, there's pretty strong availability of, of kind of basic products, but I think you can um, think it's possible to think of financial inclusion as access to uh, a more varied range of products or a higher quality of products for the mass market that would heretofore have only been available to, you know, high, oh, yeah. high net worth mm-hmm. or whatever else. Yeah. Um, so look, it, it's an interesting dynamic. As I say, I think it's open to interpretation. I suspect the business case of each of these VBs is considering it in a slightly different light. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I think the net effect is I feel we're not going to see a number of players come to market with directly comparable propositions, um, but rather, uh, I would expect to see some pretty interesting segmentation up front. Yeah. And when we talk about this within the SME world, <clears throat> mm-hmm. are we looking at uh, sort of more on the e-commerce side? Are we looking at brick and mortar retail? Are we looking at uh, trade, finance, supply chain type of companies? Um, you know, where, where do you think will be the, the obvious place to start? Well, it's a good question because I, th- you know, you could segment each of them differently with different propositions and products. Um, I guess the question is, are people anticipating these VBs coming, VBs coming to market day one with a full suite of products covering a range of customer profiles? Maybe it won't be like that. Mm-hmm. Maybe you come in, I mean, look, this is the classic fintech model anyway and, and challenger model in other markets. You come in and you address a, a particular market vertical or, or customer segment very well, right. and then you kind of land and expand. Yeah. Um, the, the, the honest answer I would say is we're six to nine months from seeing any of these launch and I suspect a lot of this is still uh, you know the product roadmaps are being built as we as we speak and you know 
part of it is going to be somewhat reactionary as well, uh, as you as you rightly said. I mean, there's been eight licenses shortlisted. Three of them have been granted. There is a market expectation that more are coming. Yeah. Um, and as you think through, if you're one of the VBs or indeed if you're one of the incumbent banks, as you as you as you look at the competitive landscape, it's it's going to be changing quite a lot over the coming months and years. I mean, this is. This is going to be a battleground. Yeah. I can I can tell you that. What are what are VBs going to have to do in terms of their value proposition, which I think would be both financial in terms of the interest rates that uh, they would either pay depositors or the the lending rates they could they could they could get, uh, as uh, as well as the the customer experience side, um, being able to you know what do they need to do to move the needle, whether it's going into uh, niche areas that are underserved or if they do want to at some point um, take on some of the, the big banks in their in their backyards yeah I mean look I think it's it's the kind of it's the old cliche of I, I mean they're gonna have to try and achieve scale before the incumbents achieve innovation right I mean the reality is that this market is not going to stand still the incumbent response to this is likely to be as fiercely competitive as anything else right um, the question then as you know is you know how fast can you move how responsive can you be to customer demands I think we're gonna see a lot of inspiration from the big China players whether direct or indirect um, I, I think a, a lot of the white space in Hong Kong is not really to replicate a bank in a digitized form, but more to integrate some of those kind of financial services, some of those activities into your daily life. Um, and, you know, the daily life can, can you know, cut across a, a range of activities, travel, transport, retail, uh, telecommunications, etc. Right. And that's why we see partners like C-Trip, um, the Jardine conglomerate, and so on, and involved in some of these uh, initial licensed organizations. Yeah, I mean, look, I think it's it's instructive that we're beginning to see these uh, cross-industry uh, multi-party joint ventures, certainly. I, I mean, I, as I would say, I think that's inspired as much by the China experience as anything else. And, and equally, we're seeing it in other markets in Asia. Um, you know, let me take an example in Korea. Of course, Kakao Bank, mm-hmm. uh, Talk being the largest messaging service there, they've built a very successful bank on top of that um, from a customer acquisition and servicing perspective. Uh, Line, uh, another messaging service in Taiwan, of course, have announced um, that they are in the uh, running for one of the two digital licenses to be issued there, etc. So, you know, I think fundamentally, back to our earlier discussion around some of the UK challengers, uh, you know, to some degree, and I don't mean to sound flippant, to some degree, acquiring, you know, digitally savvy millennials or or kind of digital early adopters. You know, there's a certain means by which you can do that pretty cost-effectively, frankly. Um, but at a certain at a certain stage, trying to convert the proverbial man or woman in the street to a new bank is challenging. And yeah. I think in the UK as elsewhere, you ultimately see people advertising on the sides of the tube. So, yeah. because we haven't seen, I mean, if you look at those other models, um, and I, I know we already decided discussed why they may not be entirely appropriate, but nonetheless, the the size of deposit base that they have taken is, is minuscule mm-hmm. uh, across the board. Um, so I presume that they are fighting more on fee, uh, transactional fee income yeah. uh, businesses. Uh, do you think that will be similar in Hong Kong? And what kind of cost of acquisition do you think these, these VBLs are looking at? I mean, look, that's exactly it. I mean, fundamentally, how are you going to make money in banking? It's going to be net interest margin or, or fees. I mean, to some degree, right? right. Um, I, I do think we'll see pretty quickly, in my estimation, we'll see some... Um, cross financial services plays in relation to wealth asset management, potentially insurance, etc. Now they may be tie ups, they may be direct manufacturing, who, who knows. Um, but I, I think you know to your point, the question 
for some of these new players is, do you want to be the primary bank? Do you want to be a payroll bank? Do you want to be, and you know, with the advent of FPS, with the advent of open APIs, the reality is that may not be necessary anymore. Right, you don't need to be the deposit-taking bank, you, you not may the primary not, one. Exactly, I mean, if you can kind of sweep money across on a, on a daily, weekly, monthly basis, if you can incentivize certain activities, you actually may not need to lay that infrastructure to begin with. So that's pretty interesting. And I think back to your original opening around how some of these things come together, I do feel we're, we're, we're suddenly in a position here, and, and, and I don't mind being bullish on this because I've been saying for many years before this that, that there is no infrastructure to build challenger banks in Hong Kong. We're suddenly at a point now where that infrastructure is being laid. Um, and you know, I'm actually pretty excited that I don't know what this looks like in 12, 18, 24 months. Um, and you know, when was the last time we could say that about the Hong Kong backing market? Right. Okay. <laughs> fair enough. Probably it's been a while. Yes, since uh, <laughs> since it would look very unpredictable. Hmm. Um, the first version of Western style fintechs were all about unbundling financial services, whether it was retail banking or if it was uh, card acquirer kind of businesses. Um, it was all around, uh, you know, picking it apart, finding a niche to attack, um, mm -hmm. and and taking it from there. Uh, is that the case with what we're seeing now in Hong Kong, or are we seeing these uh, these partnership, these coalitions? Are we seeing something more like a a, a return to a, a more full service or a rebundling proposition based on technology? Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know if I fully align with the kind of unbundling, rebundling kind of meme for, for, for the reason that, again, I think if you're sitting in London or New York, that conceptually that makes sense because you've seen a lot of deep single vertical players, whether it's in lending or payments or FX or whatever else, um, you know, acquire a bunch of customers and, and do quite well. And yeah, of, of course, they then begin to uh, move adjacent, uh, move into adjacent financial services or potentially partner with other fintechs. Uh, to the point that they're beginning to offer a kind of a more holistic banking experience. Um, but I think out here, again, I feel like we're more inspired by, by, by the China players, wherein, you know, this, the, the, there is this kind of lateral moves, but it, equally it may be a lateral move into a non-financial services. I mean, again, if we're to take the Alipay, Tencent, e or WeChat Pay ecosystems, I mean, it's as much about... Uh, offering non-financial services either uh, manufactured directly by, by the business itself or offered through third-party APIs or whatever else, that, again, you're incorporating financial services into kind of daily or, or, or regular activities in a way that it becomes less uh, central to, 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 to the banking proposition. Right. I'm, so, I'm I mean, not going to the bank. I'm going to get something else, and I just well, need the, the, look, the okay. finance behind it. I'm booking. I'm booking a trip overseas. You know, this is a good opportunity to offer someone travel insurance. Um, it's a good opportunity to offer someone, you know, preferential FX or uh, a card preloaded with certain currency, etc. I mean, this is a hypothetical example, but um, you know, you land in a foreign country. Okay, well, now is an opportunity. You can, you know, there's a micro insurance play again. There's a perhaps an integration with a ride hailing. I mean, there's a whole range of things. There's a whole range of financial services, uh, be it payments, you know, credit, micro insurance, uh, etc., that I think can be incorporated into uh, activities wherein you're providing banking services, but it's not, you know, there's a bit of a, we're missing that friction layer of, okay, now I need to perform a banking services, thus I will navigate either in the offline world to yeah. my bank branch or in the online world right. to my bank app. But we're also seeing that though without, I mean, you don't need a VBL to do that. I mean, we're seeing uh, big banks trying to come up with partnerships with, with, with airlines or, yeah. or, or um, 
credit card companies trying to ally themselves with transportation uh, authorities. Mm-hmm. Um, there's e-wallets everywhere, right? I mean, yep. um, will do these virtual banks run a risk of being kind of stuck com- competitive-wise between the the rock of traditional banks and the hard place of, of all these other fintech initiatives? Uh, I think I, I feel more comfortable arguing the reverse, which is to say the advantage, I mean, look, the advantage of going for a new license at a conceptual level at least is that you can bring in multiple parties in a joint venture, uh, each of whom is bringing different uh, you know, qualities and, and different assets to the party, but equally are, you know, very, very, in a very real sense, invested in the in the success. So I guess what I mean by that is, yes, there are a lot of banks in the region building partnerships, collaboration with fintechs has been all the rage for many years. I mean, let's talk about actual success in that field, because I think it's quite mixed, frankly. Um, but ultimately, if you're a big bank and you're kind of, quote, partnering with a fintech, is that really a partnership? I right. mean, effectively, it's service delivery, right? Yeah. Um, who exactly is incentivized within the bank at a personal level, at an organizational level to make these things successful, etc. I just think there's a lot of question marks around it. I think if you're with if, if you're a greenfield proposition starting, you know, as these new players are with a blank sheet of paper, uh, certainly that brings with it its own challenges, by the way, uh, particularly if you're dealing with multiple parties, but it also brings with it huge potential upside. I mean, we can literally design a new way of thinking about financial service delivery with a range of um, strategic partners and, and, and you know, at, at its best, bring together ideas that wouldn't have been possible in an existing bank. Yeah. So, you know, again, I think I'm pretty excited by it, but for, frankly, the proof is in the pudding. I mean, we will, you know, th- I think this is a big advancement, having these uh, licenses issued. I think the overall view of the HKMA has been very supportive of new propositions and new players. Um, but, you know, it's not going to be easy. No. And I guess another challenge for these new businesses will be that uh, just the, the classic challenge of any joint venture, right? I mean, um, different parties sure. Uh, making sure that they're aligned. and man- you know, So it's a management issue and a shareholder uh, management issue. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, but again, you know, the, the converse is true. If It's hard to think, it's hard, if you're in an existing bank, it's very hard to get out of that mindset. I mean... You know, quite honestly, for better or worse, by the way. Right. I mean, there are risk management mindsets that I think we're going to be pretty happy with. Um, it's good to have banking experience uh, from a capital perspective, you know, capital um, maintenance or control, risk control expected. There's a lot of good stuff from the banking world. Um, but equally, it's hard to envisage truly new customer journeys or, or true differentiation if, you're, um, if your entire frame of reference is what the bank has done before. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think this is a this is why I'm very excited about it. I mean, I do think it's the possibility exists here for genuinely new services starting in Hong Kong and p- potentially expanding outwards. Um, but you know, there's still quite a way to go. Yeah. Well, I think we'll leave it there. I think with that, uh, on an, a nice optimistic note, uh, James, I'd like to thank you for your time and joining us on Digfin Vox. Very happy to be here. Thanks. Thank you for listening. I'm James Lindsay, and when I'm not hosting this podcast, I'm the commercial director of Digital Group. If you enjoyed this podcast, please listen again and share it on social media so your friends can find it too.
Thank you.